0: You know, one of the breaking points for me was one day on the third Harry Potter movie when one of the executives said to me, how are we going to make Harry Potter fly? And I thought, I said, "I said, well, we've been making him fly for two other movies, so we're going to kind of do the same stuff.
1: And now, coming to you from the K2 studios in San Diego, California... It's the world-famous Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening, everybody? How are you doing today? I am Chris. And I'm Christine. And welcome to episode 46 of the Chris and Christine Show. Do, 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 do. Well, all right. That is fantastic. How are you doing out there in podcast land? Welcome to this wonderful Saturday. <laughs> in the heat in the middle of summer
2: yes it is sizzling and not just because you're in the room but
1: it's shh. always sizzling because i'm in the room <laughs> i'm like walking around it's like a hot just a hot piece like of a sauna? fire like- sauna fire whatever <laughs> smoking
2: <laughs> that's what you should put on your new license plate smoking hot
1: oh yeah you know because my truck is uh, magma was it mag-
2: magma is the color
1: magma red
2: Right. But well, it looks a little like black. A brown.
1: Yeah. Well, whatever. Yeah. I like Every, it. Speaking of my truck, everywhere I go, like everybody loves it. They all, it turns heads. Just today at the car wash, the guy was uh, drying it off and he's like, I love your truck. I said, yeah, I used to have that silver truck. If you remember, I used to bring it in here all the time. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't know. But it, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> but yeah, I love this truck. You do you take it off roading? go four wheel drive. I said, not yet. I've only had the thing a month. Yeah, you know, maybe, maybe. But I think I might be afraid to take it off road. Yeah, because I might be like, you know, well,
2: it's so funny, because we both took our cars to get gassed up and to get washed. And so Chris's was getting dried while I was getting ready to pull around and go into the car wash. So I'm getting like, entering into the car wash. And I see this guy like, checking out Chris's car. And I texted him. That guy's flirting with you about your truck, <laughs> right? And he's like, yep, always, because it really is. It's a beautiful truck, and you know right. it does and turn it, heads. And and, it, and, and and it's not just because I'm sitting in the passenger seat, because that's definitely a reason why yes, people check yes. it out. Sometimes mm-hmm. it is. Sometimes it is. <laughs>
1: or sometimes Christine is standing up outside the uh, limousine uh, roof and uh, doing like the, hey,
2: everybody, out. <laughs> the, the Vegas strip thing. Yes. Like, it's like the come out through the, the sunroof, right. and you're like, woohoo, party girl.
1: Party time, exactly. <laughs> (laughs) So, hey, Christine, what has been going on in the last week over here at the Chris and Christine Show World?
2: Well, we have been in full prep mode for the upcoming first ever family road trip.
1: Yeah, we are going on a road trip. We're not bringing my truck. We're taking out Christine's new, uh, what's her called again? Ruby Red? Ruby the Explorer. Ruby Ride is going out, making her maiden voyage past the city line.
2: (laughs) Well, I've driven her to LA, but yeah, she's going to cross the state line. And, you know, we just figured it was a better fit because it gives the kids space and it lets us pack all the luggage without things flying out. And it's just something we've been really excited about. So, Chris, where are we going starting tomorrow morning?
1: Starting tomorrow morning, we are hopping in the old the Hot Rod uh, Ruby Red ride and we are traveling out to the great state of Nevada. Yes, we are. To a small little city, a little quaint little bed and breakfast town called. <laughs> Las Vegas,
2: or lost wages.
1: Well, yeah. You know, hey, <laughs> hey, speaking of that, do you know how to double your money instantly in Las Vegas? How you take a one dollar bill and you fold it in half. But <laughs> um. <laughs> Thank you. He's here all
2: night, ladies and gentlemen.
1: So we're going to Las Vegas for one night, staying at the Great Caesars Palace. Yes,
2: it's our first time. I'm so excited. It's
1: actually a small little quaint place. you probably heard of it. I don't know.
2: Garden of the Gods, all that stuff. Yeah, so
1: I go in there. They're like, hey, Chris. Yeah, so anyways, but um, we're staying at Caesars Palace that one night. Right, one night. And then we're hopping in the car and heading to uh, Utah, which is the next state up. Yep. It's about four-hour drive, I think, to the border.
2: Well, it's four hours to where we're going. It's only like an hour or so to the border, two hours to the
1: border. Right. And then we're going into? (gasps) Zion National Park. Which we went to last year. If you remember, I think we described that in our podcast episode we did. I'm not sure what episode it was. Yeah. But it was an episode we did when we talked about the year in review of 2019.
2: Yeah, because it was right after we started doing the podcast. It was just a few weeks, like maybe a month and a half. After we... Oh, I actually can't remember. Maybe it was before we started podcasting. I'm losing track. But we went glamping and we went to Zion, just the two of us. And then we said we really wanted to take the kids back. Right, Chris?
1: That is right. So so here's what we're doing. We're going back over there and we're going to go to uh, Zion National Park. We are staying in a... Was it townhome?
2: Yeah, we did an Airbnb rental because Air- you know Airbnb. we wanted to be super careful with how many hotels we were staying in with COVID and everything like that. And so... We were, um, Caesars Palace has like an occupancy limit, and so we knew that we would be safe there. And then we found this really great townhome that's just right by a trolley stop that'll take us into the park. On- Wait, it's not
1: an actual trolley. It's a bus stop, though, no, right? No, no,
2: no. That one is like a trolley that takes you to the- With like
1: railroad tracks kind of trolley?
2: No, they call it a trolley. Or no, they, I'm sorry. They call it a shuttle. I get those the, terms. There you use. go. Yeah. When
1: you think of trolley, you think of like a railroad system. Yeah, no, I'm
2: sorry. It, you're right. It's like a little shuttle bus. Yeah. And then it'll take us up to the visitors' entrance. And then we will trade in our free pass for the national parks.
1: Awesome. Free pass. Who, who doesn't like free? I love free. And we're going to go hiking around the trails and in the water and see the the water things and the waterfall stuff. <laughs> and uh, how hike about trail. I describe it? Well, I'm describing it too. <laughs>
2: Well, okay, first of all, we scored a free pass because Jacob just finished fourth grade. And I don't know if everybody that's listening knows this, but if you don't, it is a great, great deal. Is that there is, um, it's called like America the Beautiful. It's a fourth grade program for every fourth grader in the United States to have the opportunity to go to a national park. And so what they do is you go onto the national parks website and you claim your free annual pass for that entire year. That your child's in fourth grade, you can visit as many as you want, and it gets all children under the age of 16 that are with you and up to four adults in
1: for free. Wow, free. That's fantastic. Right. How much would it cost normally?
2: I think it's anywhere just from, like, depends from 10 to $15 per person. I oh, think wow. it's just depending. But um, Zion's different. So, like, Yosemite, you can drive in and you pay for the car.
1: Right, right. But
2: Zion, it's you have to walk in and go through their visitor center and get on their shuttles because they don't let other traffic in unless you're staying at the lodge inside.
1: Really? So are we staying at the lodge then?
2: No, we're staying at a townhome just outside of the park.
1: Okay, I gotcha. So it's two nights there, right? Right. Uh, two days there. Then we re- do a return trip back. South to Las Vegas. Right. Where have we figured out where we're staying at? Las Vegas? No,
2: this is such a nightmare. Okay. So when we go back to Vegas, we had booked um, our reservations at Rio. And Rio, if you don't know, is an all suites hotel. And so for us, it's really good because every kid will have a spot to sleep. You know, there's like a pull out sofa and two beds and great views and a great pool. Well, I decided to just double-check everything the other day, and it said the Rio's temporarily closed. What? Right. So I called Caesars Rewards. And they, and
1: they took your reservation. And they took our reservation. And they're closed.
2: Right. So I called Caesars Rewards, and first I was like, is it just the pool or is it the whole hotel? Because even if it's just the pool, we want to move our, our reservation because that's why we're staying there is to let the kids play in the pool. Not to mention my best friend Kira is driving down from Salt Lake City to join us for one night. I haven't seen her in over a year. And the kids were going to swim together and she was going to meet Chris.
1: So oh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, meet the world famous Chris.
2: <laughs> so I was on the phone with Caesars and they're like, well, we're going to move your reservation complimentary over to Hera's.
1: Hera's. What's wrong with Hera's?
2: There's like the pool there. It's like an apartment complex little pool. Yeah. And not like my old apartment complex. We're talking like
1: a basic apartment like a complex, Kitty kiddie
2: pool. And I was like, this isn't going to work. So then I was negotiating with them and I was like, okay, well, we want to move to the Flamingo. It's still in the Caesars group. I'd like a comparable room. And the
1: Flamingo has a full on water slide and a a whole like pool area that has water slides and a big giant mega like party pool DJs and drinking. That's for adults, by the way. Right. But it's it's a big pool party spot during the summer. It's like a big place to go to.
2: Right. But Vegas is pretty empty right now. And so I definitely wanted to like stay there. So I'm on the phone with a gal. Saying, okay, well, we want to transfer over to the Flamingo. And she says, okay, well, I can do that. And I can put you in a 2 queen room. And I said, well, it's a suite, right? Oh, no, you'd have to pay an upgrade fee. And I said, but I was in a suite at Rio. And there's, you know, my best friend is bringing her four kids. We're bringing our three. We need enough beds for the kids. And she's like, well, I can upgrade you. But let me look at the room that you're wanting, what the upgrade charge is going to be. Guess what it was, Chris?
1: (laughs) I don't know what. $250, $254
2: $250, $254 per room, ad, ad, per night.
1: Additional to what we were already paying? Right. Wow. Right. So, Well, they'd be lucky for us to even be there. How, exactly. dare, how dare you?
2: <laughs> so what I did is I just, you know, I tried to work at a couple different angles, gave our rewards account number, and she was still quoting me this expensive price. And I said, you know what, just please cancel my reservation because the thing that we've shared before on this podcast is Chris and I were members of Caesars uh, Rewards Group And so we get mad discounts on hotels, right, Chris? If not free. Right. So Caesars, we're staying at, it was a comp, so we get it free. We just pay taxes and resort fee. And then for um, Rio, we got each of the rooms for $24 per night. So we got two suites for like 50 bucks plus fees. It was $100 for one night stay for two rooms. And they were going to charge us like $500 at Flamingo. Wow. So I looked it up. I didn't even log in, Chris. Get this one. I went to the website while I'm talking to the girl. I didn't log into my rewards account. And I looked at what the price was just for a person off the street. Right. Just that cost of that room with no rewards. She was going to charge me a total of $290. Guess what it's actually going for? I don't know what. 109
1: why is it why
2: is it Exactly. It makes no sense.
1: That doesn't make no sense at all.
2: Yeah, it's like it's all about how they look things up and so that's all to say people you can vacation very inexpensively if you're part of different rewards programs and you shop the deals. So what I didn't do is commit to that. I told her to cancel the reservation and I've been shopping around to try and find the absolute best deal and I haven't settled on it yet but I will by tonight.
1: Well that's good because we are leaving tomorrow, so you better figure <laughs> out where we're staying, uh come back on that road trip. Right. So um also on this week, what else has been going on around the house?
2: Oh Well, construction has been continuing. So after Construction
1: city up in this place. My goodness.
2: Last week's episode, we talked about the water leak. And at that point, we didn't know the extent of the damage. But Chris, how extensive was the damage?
1: Well, it flooded into the kids' room next door. It flooded into the wood. It flooded through the ceiling. And so they had to bring all these machines in here, rip out the bathroom, rip out the cabinets, rip out the floor, and put all of these uh, humidifier machines, fans
2: Dehumidifiers, I'm sorry, yeah,
1: dehumidifier machines to suck the water out of the air and then they put these mats down the floor, they had like these hoses in them to try to suck the water out, like literally out of the wood.
2: Well, because it's the wood flooring, Yeah,
1: the wood flooring is what got all the water went to and so they're trying to suck it all out and they didn't get most of it out, they got most of it out, right Christine?
2: Yeah, so it was the water that had seeped under the wood flooring in the boys' closet and bedroom, it was at 99% moisture rating when they checked it the first day they were here. It's down to 23%, but the industry standard is 14 and they can only wiggle on that 4%. So they could like go up to 18. But the fact that we're 23 means they're still going to have to come back while we're out of town and they're going to have to rip out part of the wood flooring And the water migrated into the built-in bookshelf in the boys' closet. And they're going to have to come in and cut some of that out
1: too. Oh, God. Are they going to repair that or fix that? Or what are they going to do? Well,
2: that's why they offered to do it today. And I said, you know, my adjuster is on vacation. Even the guy he deferred us to didn't respond to my email. Before we do anything, I want in writing that they're authorizing the demo and that they're going to comp the replacement to that. Because that shelving, while it looks like it's not very significant in the boys' closet. It's a custom-built shelf that's built into the actual closet. And then they're talking about wood flooring that's no longer being produced. And so we just want to make sure, like, The whole house is that same wood flooring, right, Chris?
1: Absolutely. Make sure everything's done right. So if they're going to fix it, let them fix it. If they're going to say the green light, whatever they decide to do, we're going to go with it. And um, because the insurance is paying for this. So
2: right. uh, Well, for the most part.
1: part, Yeah, mostly they are so far so good.
2: So we're thankful for that. It could have been worse. We're thankful the insurance has stepped up and said they're covering it. And the other thing that I'm so incredibly thankful for, Chris, is that this happened a week ago and we got the whole house dried out before we have to leave town
1: right because who knows what we have to done if we we weren't here and um and and speaking of that they did shut the power off yesterday for a little bit but um yeah that was another story my goodness and then a
2: couple days ago the hot water went out it has been a hot mess over here so we are very excited
1: and speaking of hot it's been really hot weather wise right those machines put off so much heat it upstairs, they make this whole upstairs level so hot. Right. And the air conditioning doesn't do nothing. Air conditioning is on. Oh, let's turn the AC on, the guy says. Oh, just run the AC, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, and I was saying that AC is so old, it will <laughs> not keep up with demand of this heat because you're literally, it's the equivalent of putting three ovens cranking them on and leaving upstairs
2: right outside of our bedroom
1: (laughs) right windows open whatever and it's hot
2: well we couldn't leave the windows open because the dehumidifiers couldn't function that way so you're closing everything in in. hell
1: it's like literally
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's like literally let's let's just bake some cookies while we're at it like on top of everything. Oh, my so. goodness. And
1: speaking of being hot, what one thing people like to do during the summertime when it is hot, which they really can't do right now until they open it up, that is going to the movies. Ooh, I love the movies. Everybody goes to the movies for the air conditioning and the sound and, and just relaxing. It's a really good, fun time. I One of my favorite things to do during the summer is go to the movies. I
2: can't wait for that.
1: And they have all the great summer blockbuster movies that always come out this time of year. you know. But right now, I don't think there's any coming out right now.
2: Right. But... You know, it's something definitely to look forward to. And one of the things that we love when we go to the movies is looking at things like the special effects and all of those different types of things. Right, Chris?
1: That is absolutely right. And coming up next, our very special, we have two VIP guests that both have worked in Hollywood on movies in visual effects, and we will talk to them right after this. Hey there, K2 crew. We love having you as our loyal listeners. To keep up to date with what's happening behind the scenes, check us out
2: on social media.
1: Yeah, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter.
2: And don't forget to follow our Facebook page.
1: Yeah, tag us in your favorite fun stories. And guess what? You might just end up on the show.
2: And welcome back, everybody. Today, we have not one, but two very special guests on the show, This dynamic duo are living out their dream of empowering women on a daily basis. They have an incredible story and journey, and they will be sharing it with all of us today. Please welcome to the show Amy and Nancy Harrington. Hi, thanks so much for having us. Thank you.
1: Hey, thank you, ladies, for showing up on our show today.
2: Yeah, we're so excited. Uh, So, where are you joining us from
3: today? Where in the world? We are in sunny Los Angeles, California, although it's slightly overcast
1: today. (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) Do you ladies both live in Los Angeles?
0: We do. We do, yeah. We live about 10 minutes away from each other. Um, So we work together, physically work together a couple times a week usually, but we actually haven't seen each other. Closer than six feet apart for the last three months, which is (laughs) the longest we've been apart since we both lived in LA and very difficult for us.
2: Oh, my word. I can only imagine. I have three sisters and I have not seen them other than on Zoom. Since um, actually Christmas time, because I live a couple hundred miles away from them, but couple hundred
1: more like four hundred, right?
2: Yeah, about four hundred from some of them. But typically, I see them like every other weekend uh, or (laughs) once a month, and so I feel your pain, especially when your sisters are your best friends. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's we have we have there are four girls in our family and one boy, and and we've been zooming too. But yeah, it's really hard not to. It's weird because we see each other, we talk each to each other every day online, but. That physical connection is really I miss it so much.
2: Yeah, uh, definitely. It's its definitely a trying time for all of us. So we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. And for our listeners, I met Amy and Nancy online through a fantastic podcasting group. And I was really intrigued with their story, shared it with Chris. And he said, yes, book them. They sound amazing. So uh, <laughs> we're excited to bring this show to you today. So let's just hop right into it, ladies. Great. Great. So we would love to first find out a bit about your background. Like, what have you done for work? Um, have you always lived in LA? Tell us all the details. All right. All right. So, uh, Amy and
3: I grew up south of Boston, and we were best friends as we uh, when we were children. Uh, Amy moved to California in nineteen yeah. 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 And, um, I stayed back in Boston for another 10 years. I, um, I had my own graphic design company. Um, and I also ran a theater with my husband. So I did a lot of producing and I, you know, had a lot of creative work. Um, and then in the, in the late nineties, I got kind of bored and my husband was kind of bored and he wanted to, he's a composer and he wanted to come out to LA and Amy was already out in LA. And I thought, why not? So we, um, we packed up the truck and we moved to Beverly Hills. And
1: wow. Beverly Hills. <laughs> that's a big oh, wow. step up.
3: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Lower. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we packed up the truck. We moved to California and we, uh, I started working for a advertising agency out here and I worked for them for three years doing the Academy Award campaigns for Miramax and Paramount Classics. Um, so it was very glamorous Hollywood life, but it was really super stressful. And I really wanted to um, have my own business again. I didn't really didn't like working for someone else. I've always been an entrepreneur. And around that time, Amy was getting the itch to move on as well, so she can pick up from here and tell you her story and how we uh, wound up together.
1: Okay, okay.
0: Yeah, so I moved to L.A. right after I graduated college and got into TV um, really quickly, worked on the TV show Matlock uh, for all your grandmothers out there. Oh, and, I loved um, Matlock.
2: <laughs> I, and I'm not a grandma, but I love <laughs> watching Matlock.
0: I've Matt
1: heard Locke. of Matlock. I've heard of it. I don't remember what it's about, though. Oh,
2: <laughs> it's the best. Okay. So <laughs> you're balance. already, you're one of my favorite people. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> so it gets
3: better. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, and, 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 and Matlock, you gotta check it out, Christopher. It's a, he's a Southern lawyer who always turns his, on his clients on the stand. It's amazing. Turns he on goes, them? Goes, like, goes yeah, against yeah, them? It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's incredible. Like, he, he seems like he, you know, he's defending the right person and he's always like wait a minute i think it was you and completely unethically turns on them wow Um, so after that i i got into um visual effects and i uh got a job on the movie coneheads and that led to me um moving over to warner brothers where i helped start the first in-house visual effects company for Warner Brothers, where we we set up a team that actually did visual effects work on the Warner Brothers movies, and then I was asked to go over to the studio to work directly for the feature film division. I became the first woman um, in we, from what we can tell, in the history of the film industry to become a vice president of post production and visual effects simultaneously for the uh, film department at Warner Brothers. So wow, I worked Good for on you. about. Yeah, it was it was great. And I was very young at the time. I got very lucky. And um, I worked on about 200, 250 movies while I was there in various stages um, and worked on the first three Harry Potter movies, The Matrixes, You've Got Mail, Perfect Storm, Analyze This. So I worked on a bunch of movies and I loved it. Um, but then there was, you know, politics happens in Hollywood all the time and they restructured the department. And I just felt felt like that was a good time for me to leave. At the same time, Nancy was looking to leave her job. So, um, we joined hands, Thelma and Louise style, and uh, drove off the cliff together.
1: <laughs> Robbed some banks along the way. Sure I should have. That would have been a, a good move, actually,
0: yeah. <laughs> in retrospect.
2: <laughs> so it sounds like you both were pretty steeped in Hollywood culture at the time. What was that experience like for you and your families?
3: You know, I am um, in in the advertising world at the time. It was just at the beginning of the digital age, where I, I worked mainly on uh, news print print ads for Academy Award campaigns. So um, it was it was extremely stressful because bef- before the digital age, when when an ad went to a magazine or a newspaper to print you know, you'd have to get it there a day or two beforehand because there was all sorts of work that had to happen with the ad before they could print it. Mm -hmm. In the digital age, we sent over a file and granted the, you know, the networks were a little slower back then, but we still, you know, we could get an advertising to print, you know, 10, 15 minutes before they turned on the presses. So um, we, you know, our biggest client was Miramax and Harvey Weinstein, you know, fortunately I did not have any personal interaction with him, but I, uh, I do have secondhand knowledge of working with him in that if he had time to make change, he was going to make change. So (laughs) we were oftentimes, you know, working till two, three o'clock in the morning until we went to press making changes because we could. Um, So it was a really, really stressful time. Um, And, you know, fortunately for me, I don't have I'm married, but I don't have children. And so I have a very understanding husband. But it was it was hard because I I was working very long hours. I was, you know, I would leave at 738 o'clock in the morning and I wouldn't sometimes wouldn't be home till 2am. So it was it was difficult. And by the end of the three years, I was really ready to move on.
1: When you, you said you were doing the advertising print for the Academy Awards. What exactly is that? Are you talking like uh, newspaper ads or flyers? Newsp-
3: newspaper ads. And we did all of the ads that were in Variety and you know, Hollywood Reporter. So, you know, all those for your consideration, you know, trying oh, to yeah. get pe- trying to get people to vote for the movies, trying to get people in the Academy to vote for the movies and, you know um, that's, you know, that's kind of how, how, uh, Academy Awards are won is, is, you know, lots of name recognition. I mean, Harvey was, Harvey was good at that. I mean, he won a lot of awards back then. I was, I worked there in the era of Chicago and, uh, big films like that. So he was in the middle of a string of, you know, I think he won five or six best picture (laughs) awards in a row there for a while. So, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty intense. Yeah,
2: it sounds like it. And so, Amy, what was that experience of the Hollywood lifestyle like for you during that time frame?
0: Also intense, um, but incredible. I mean, I I was really fortunate in that I was single, um, and I even especially before Nancy and her husband moved here, I didn't have any family in L.A. I just had a great network of friends, so I could. I was the one in the, you know, in the department that they would say, we need someone to go to London tonight. And I'd say, okay, I'll go. And I could stay for as long as I wanted or needed to because no one was waiting for me back home. Um, So it was incredible for a really long time. And I was, you know, I'm a workaholic anyway, but I absolutely loved what I was doing. So, you know, I was, again, fortunate to work with, some of the greatest filmmakers in the history of, you know, the industry like Tim Burton and Ridley Scott. Um, and I, Nora Ephron um, and I, but I also, you know, over the course of 10 years, it was very tiring. I, I like Nancy, I worked, you know, I would get up there. I had some jobs where I would get up at six o'clock in the morning and I wouldn't get home till three and I'd sleep for an hour or two and then I'd go back out. Um, but, the fun side of it was I got to be on these incredible movie. You know, I got to stand alone on Diagon Alley on Harry Potter one morning and I could go onto the Warner brothers lot and walk around and go to all the different movie sets and, um, you know, meet celebrities and famous filmmakers. And, and I learned so much. I'm, I'm a kind of person. I'm just so curious. So I, the beauty of my job was we worked with every single department at the studio from, you know, marketing to, um, you know, props to you know, the heads of the, the film department. So I really got to learn kind of every aspect of it. Um, and then when the political shift happened, it was also hitting a point where Warner brothers had been restructured on a bigger level. There had been a big merger between AOL and time Warner that, really changed the culture of the company and everything was starting to get really budget oriented versus, Oh wow! at at the time when I started Warner brothers was still kind of that old school Hollywood where talent was King and you really focused on making things great. And it hit a point where it was really about money. And, um, you know, one of the breaking points for me was one day on the third Harry Potter movie when one of the executives said to me, how are we going to make Harry Potter fly? And I thought, I said, I said, well, we've been making him fly for two other movies, so we're gonna kind of do the same stuff, you know. Like, <laughs> well, they didn't and like it,
1: the way it was done, or something.
0: No, they just didn't understand the process, even though we'd been through it. Well, tell them um, go
1: back and watch uh, the original Superman. That was like in the '70s, <laughs> and they figured <laughs> it out then.
0: Exactly, and, and honestly, a lot of those techniques still applied. You know, so it was right. like, well, we're gonna do this here, and you know, and, and I appreciated that. I had an understanding of something that someone else didn't have, but I also thought, oh, I'm going to have this same conversation for at least four more, and it turned out to be five more films if I stick around. And I don't know that I want to do the same thing every day. you know. What I liked about my job was how different it was and how challenging it was. And it was feeling like it was starting to get like, a little bit repetitive and mm. so for me i was ready to do something again in my life that i didn't know how to do and that was really challenging
1: was there a lot of pressure on these newer movies because i know that each movie especially with visual effects they always tried to you know take it up the next level uh kick it up a notch do you was there a lot of pressure with that
0: oh yeah yeah and i mean and again kind of like nancy was saying on her end I was at Warner Brothers really during the advent of digital visual effects. So I worked on, when I worked at the, the effects company within Warner Brothers, um, we had done an opening shot on, um, I believe it's in Batman Forever, and it's a shot that you fly through Gotham, right? And it was I awesome. remember that.
1: Yes, I remember that Yeah, scene.
0: okay. So we did that all digitally. And at the time, no one had tried to do that kind of shot digitally. If you look at it now, it looks like my nephew, who's 12, <laughs> did it on the computer. Yes. But at the time, it took literally probably took us like six months and wow. it team like, of wow. like 30 people. Wow. Um, so, you know, that was really groundbreaking for what it was then. And then, then you know, flash forward a few years, we did Perfect Storm and a lot of my job at the time was they would bring us a book or a script, and they would say, "Can we even do this?" And you know, with Perfect Storm, no one had really done digital water the right way yet. And so we worked really hard with Industrial Light and Magic, uh, you know, ILM, who is famous for all the Star Wars movies mostly. But um, we worked really hard with them for, on a proof of concept to show everybody that. Yes, you can make realistic looking water and knowing how to blend that with practical effects to make, you know, to always helps make it look more real, but yeah, so at, when at the time Warner Brothers was the biggest movie studio in the world, most successful at that moment in time and really most into at the time big budget effects movies, you know, the Batman movies were really kind of the height of the big effects movies at that time. And then we just kept pushing the boundaries with the Harry Potters and with perfect storm and, and all those movies. So we were really in the, we were, we were kind of on the forefront of the figuring out the digital techniques um, for a lot of those movies. That's yeah, so there was a lot of pressure, but it was also really, Challenging and satisfying because once you could once you made something like that happen, it was just felt so great to be on the the team that figured it out. You know,
2: that's so incredible. So you, as sisters, were in two different professions on these parallel tracks of finding great success, and then sounds like around the same time frame, this political dynamic emerges, and you both reach your tipping point, and you say. Let's do something new. So yep. let's talk about that. What ended up being that something new that you jumped into? As you said, Thelma and Louise style.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a uh, gradual progression. Our, the initial catalyst was a friend of ours approached us about helping her to start a cable network, and we thought, oh, that seems like a challenge. Uh, and we did that for a little while. Um, we 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 worked on it part time while we were still at our jobs, and then we finally took took the jump and said, let's just, you know, see if we can make this fly. And we worked on that for a little while. And um, sadly, that did not come to fruition. But what we did learn was like, we are capable of doing anything we want to do. So let's figure it out. And then we went through a series of uh, consulting gigs and a few other jobs um, before we landed at uh, a pop culture website that was just starting um, the company that owns shout factory started a pop culture website and they hired us to create um, most of the content for it. So we were doing videos and writing blogs and, and doing interviews and, and we really loved that job and it, we learned a lot there. And, um, but unfortunately that was in 2008 2009. And so by 2010, they were out of business. Oh, no! <laughs> so, yeah. um, so in 2010, that's when we really were like, you know, the, the person we were working with there was starting another company. And he said, why don't you guys come work for me? And we'll, you know, we'll build this from the ground up. And we thought, you know what, if we're going to build something from the ground up, Let's do it for ourselves. Not you know. Let's stop working for other people. So I love um, that. I love so that we so just, much. We, that's when we started pop culture passionistas, and we started to take on clients. Um, we our biggest client was Television Academy, and uh, we started doing um, red carpet interviews for them and archival interviews for them. So they have a a whole archive of. Um, of oral histories with people in the television profession where they um, they're like three or four hour long interviews that start with what was your name at birth? And they end with, how do you want to be remembered? And you go through their entire career for those three or four hours. And so they're really in depth and incredible interviews. And that's where we really started honing our interview skills and realizing this is what we really love to do. I mean, it's just so great to sit and really get to know people on that level. So, so that's um that sort of led us into pop culture passionistas. Um, and then Amy, do you want to talk about how that led to the passionistas project?
0: Yeah, sure. So, um, so like Nancy said, we luckily we both just decided that we love doing interviews. At the same time, you know, one of us didn't say, I don't want to do that. Go ahead. Um, So we we built up pop culture passionistas and we loved doing it. But we were hitting a point where we were feeling like we wanted to do something that um, contributed to society a little bit more than than just a straight pop culture show. And we were having a hard time figuring out what that was. And we had wanted to do a podcast. and, And again, we didn't want to do a straight pop culture podcast. And then, frankly, the Me Too movement happened. Oh, right. And, mm-hmm. You know, we we have both been fortunate that we do not have our own Me Too stories. But we have, you know, we have been women in business for a long time. So we had a certain perspective on what that was like. And, um, you know, we every day we would wake up and we would hear more really sad but really important Me Too stories. And one day we just realized, you know, We know personally or we know of a lot of women who have really powerful stories that are stories of empowerment and of running their own businesses or following a certain passion that um, that may be off the beaten track. Right. And we should be telling those stories. We should contribute to this Me Too dialogue by adding in a layer of really positive, powerful stories and so with that, we founded the Passionistas Project, and we started with the podcast, um, and we inspire, we interview women who are following their passions to inspire other women to do the same.
2: And, I love that um, so much. That yeah. sounds so life-affirming. Oh, it's changed our lives completely. I mean, I really
0: thought, okay, we'll interview people. And you, you guys know from doing interviews, like you feel a certain connection to the person you're talking to for the period you're talking to them. Maybe you stay in touch a little bit, but interviewing celebrities, it was like, okay, bye. Have a nice time. It oh, was it pretty much a cut movie. and dry,
1: just like straight to the point, And they don't want to talk about anything except whatever they're plugging. Right.
0: Well, it's interesting because we got to do the archive interviews, which are a little different. Um, yes. On, on like something like the red carpet for sure. It's like, They're so distracted, they give you their two minutes and then they have to go to the event. But the archive interviews are amazing because you get three or four hours with someone and you talk to them about their childhood and the entire arc of their career. So you do definitely feel it's way more in-depth. They share a lot more than they would in a regular interview. They're very trusting during those interviews and, and they're told at the beginning if you want to say something about an experience in your life and you don't want that revealed until let's say after you're gone or after the person you're talking about is gone, we'll put that in a time capsule. So you can do
1: do that. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So they'll say things sometimes that are like, put that out five years after I've passed away. It's like, okay, (laughs) we can do that. Um, So, so we, we get connection to them during the interview, but then, you know, you see somebody like Julia Louis Dreyfus three years later, and it's like, hi, I know you don't know me, um, <laughs> and that's okay, because that's the relationship, the way that relationship supposed to be, but with the Passionistas project, I mean, we never expected how close and how connected we would be to the women that we're interviewing, and what a community we would end up creating for for our listeners but also for ourselves in the midst of all this. So it's been, it's been the greatest thing I could ever imagine either one of us doing. Yeah.
2: That sounds so exciting. So you went through this pop culture pas- passionistas or the pop culture project to the passionistas project. Uh, and now where has this work evolved to? Because I've heard that you are really trying to dig into this women's empowerment space. We'd love to hear more about what you're doing currently. Right.
3: So we're still doing the podcast. We uh, do an episode every other week. Um, And we've also expanded out to have a, a subscription box. So it's a quarterly subscription box that's filled with um, products by women-owned businesses and female artisans. So that's uh, now, and it's uh, we're, we've just shipped out our summer box. So we've done three boxes. So that's starting to grow a little bit. It's we're you know we're keeping it slow right now because of the coronavirus. We're going to see where the economy goes, but we plan to continue to grow that. And then our biggest our biggest hope now is we are currently working. We'll probably be making the formal announcement uh, soon um, when this. When this podcast goes live, we, it will have been announced by then. But we are in August. We're doing uh, the first annual Passionistas Women's Equality Virtual Summit. We are marking the aniver- the hundredth anniversary of women getting the right to vote in the United States, um, with the acknowledgement that all women didn't get the right to vote.
1: Right? You know? um, what they didn't. So-
3: no, they did not um, black not- women were black women oh, were not allowed to vote
1: that's right Both women
3: of color were not allowed to vote um, until nineteen sixty five so it was it was a huge step forward for women but it's it was not all inclusive and you know obviously from what we're seeing in our world today this is it's still a big issue so our our hope with this summit is to talk about all aspects of women's equality, um, from racial equality to workplace equality to um, to LGBT equality and everything in between. Um, so we're going to have some, some live panel discussions. We're going to have some pre-recorded on-demand content. We're going to have a virtual market for women business owners and artisans, um, and it's going to take place the end of August. So we're really excited about that. And we're really excited about bringing all of these amazing women that we've met through the years together to uh, work on this event.
2: I love that so much. I was sharing about that with Chris and he said, oh, that sounds like it's right up your alley because my doctoral research right now is That's on, right. That's it's right. on the advancement of uh, Latinas in oh, edu- into senior level leadership positions, specifically in education. Um, and you're right, there are so many little um, areas within our country where women of color, um, black women specifically, but lat- Latinx women also mm-hmm. um, don't have access to the same types of opportunities as many others. And you'd think in 2020 and with um, you know celebrating 100 years of women having the right to vote that conditions would have changed. but there's so much that still hasn't. So kudos to you all for taking this on and for providing a venue to be able to talk through yeah, these good issues.
1: good job, by the way.
0: Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're excited. We feel, we feel really blessed in the lives that we have had and that we have. And we've just met so many incredible women that know so much more than we do about all these different areas where improvement needs to happen. And we just, like with the podcast, we want to give... These incredible women a spotlight to tell their stories. We're just kind of the we're the kind of behind the scenes. Let's make it happen. But you know, this isn't about us telling our story. It's about everybody else sharing what they know and and educating on that level. Um, and we've got some incredible people. We can't really can't really announce people yet, but we've got some really incredible people we're talking to who. If they come on board, you know, they're the best in their their field on some of these topics and uh, so we're really honored that they're even considering being a part of it.
2: That's very exciting. And so ladies, thinking about this arc of your careers and where you've come from to where you are now, how would you say that your purpose in life has or has not changed?
3: If you had told me, 15 years ago that I was going to be spending my time interviewing people <laughs> and talking about women's empowerment and politics and social change, I would have said, really? I think you have the wrong girl. You know? <laughs> I, I was um, very much, I was very privileged. You know, I have to say, I I, I never really had encounters with sexual harassment. I was always self-employed, so I didn't have workplace problems. Um, and I naively thought, I-, I love everybody. Doesn't everybody love everybody? Right. You know? um, and, and I was also extremely shy. So the idea that I was going to make a living talking to people was crazy. You know. <laughs> um, so... Every every single aspect of the Passionistas project has changed my life immensely for the better. I feel um, more educated. I feel more open. I feel more included. Um, and I and it fills my soul every day to know that we are helping to spread the word about all of these incredible women and the work they're all doing.
1: Yeah, that's great. I, that's great. I mean,
0: I, I agree with that. And and I think for me, um, for me, I was all about the work and. The project, getting the movie done, getting the, you know, reading the script, going where I needed to go, making sure people were doing what they needed to do, all with the end result of what of the movie that was coming out, and it it being the best it could be. And I didn't really have a lot of space in my life for the people as much. I had friends and I had work workers and and they ate up a lot of my social life. But I didn't have you know it was it was really about the movie at the end of the day and now i wake up every morning and i think about the women that we're um that have been fortunate enough to meet and i'm thinking about ways that we can raise their voices and give them a platform and it's so not about me you know Nancy and i do these kind of interviews um so that we can promote the podcast so that we can promote the women. So it's not about us wanting to, oh, let's get our moment in the spotlight. For me, I do these things because I want to have the opportunity to continue to promote the women. So I've gone from it being all about the product to it being all about the people. And that's just been the greatest change I could have ever imagined.
2: Well, that is so amazing. And as Chris would say, that's fantastic. Uh, I gotta say,
1: it's fantastic.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of his word on our show. So um, we appreciate your time so much. We appreciate your calling because that's really what this is. um, And the time and attention that you give to empowering women um, across the globe. And so uh, ladies, where can our listeners find out more about your podcast, your resources, your subscription box, social and your Social media, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, the, the best, the easiest way is to go to the Project.com,
3: Um, and you can link out there to all of our social media and find out about the subscription box. A podcast is there. Um, and probably by the end of next week, there will be a page uh, announcing the virtual summit um, social media, we're pretty much the Passionistas project uh, and
2: Twitter we're Pasch Pro, Pasch, Passion's proj um, <laughs> uh, But yeah, that's, that's the best way. Wonderful. So listeners, definitely reach out, support the Project.com. We appreciate so much the time that you've spent with us today. And one last question for you. As we are budding interviewers and we're continuing to refine our craft, what advice would you give to us as we move forward? Huh? Okay. Oh, <laughs> ah, that's a good one.
3: Um, I would say the the most important interview question is to listen, because <laughs> um, it's not about you; it's about them. So listen, really listen to what they're saying. Um, I think as an interviewer, when I listen to interviews, the most frustrating thing, and I know Chris, you're the king of the follow up. I, I, to me, that's the most important thing. I, I. Uh, when, when somebody you can tell when somebody's just following a list of questions, and because oh, someone hate, says yeah. someone yeah. says something really, really fascinating, and the interviewer goes, "Okay, great," and then moves on to the next question. <laughs> <Right>. or, or <laughs> Wait they <don't>, a minute! <laughs>
1: oh, they don't even say that. They don't even say yeah. that. They just go straight to the next one. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I think listening is the most valuable uh, interview tool you can have.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. It, it personally, I hardly even use the list. Christine's got a list for me, but I hardly <laughs> look at it. So I just listen to whatever you guys are saying and then I just come up with things on the fly.
0: Right. But I think that's why you guys are good together, because it's really good to be prepared yeah. and it's really good to roll with it. So it, it's a, you get, that's why your podcast is so good, because it's a great combination, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you no, so much, much, ladies. And I
0: think my other piece of advice is just um, – because Nancy and I uh, are the kind of people that we like to finish other people's sentences. And so we really had to learn doing interviews, like wait until you're a hundred percent sure someone's finished with what they're saying and then give it an extra beat because sometimes in that silence, they'll keep going and they'll oh, go yeah. to a place that even if they had a prepared answer for your question, if you give it that extra little space, They get nervous, they keep talking, and they might say something that even they didn't expect to say, which is when the most great, you know, when the greatest answers come out.
2: Right. In education, we call that wait time. And it's Mm. like, there's actually a science behind it for... in. Classroom settings, if you wait 10 seconds, somebody's going to speak because it's so crippling to them that somebody's going to start talking, you know, when you ask a question. So
1: the awkward silence. Right. That's
2: that. It does. Yeah. So you <laughs> definitely pause and it's either, you know, wait for a couple clicks and then, okay, they're definitely not going to answer or <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> let's come up with another question. But yeah. We appreciate your advice. We appreciate your expertise. And uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules. We look forward to seeing the continued great things that come from the Passionistas project and all of the other sub-projects that come as a result of that.
0: Thank you. Thank
3: you both so much for having us. We really appreciate it. That was really great. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, ladies. Thanks, Christopher.
2: With so many podcasts out in the world, you have a plethora of options. Take a chance with Too Many Captains, a movie podcast. Mixing comedy with an academic look at film and Hollywood culture, this podcast is perfect for those looking for a fresh perspective. From deep dives into classic films, to debates on digital streaming versus physical media, and film discussions based on randomly chosen topics in our What Are We Talking About? segments, there's something to satisfy all your movie podcast cravings. So, if you're feeling lucky or feel the need for speed, grab your shaken martini or some fava beans and a nice chianti and subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play. For more content, visit amoviepodcast.com, find us on Instagram at Too Many Captains Productions, and on Twitter at It's a Film Podcast. Too Many Captains, the jolliest bunch of podcasters this side of the Nuthouse.
1: Hey, well, that was super cool to have those two ladies on the show, wasn't that, Christine?
2: Yeah, totally.
1: And I do believe what they had to say was pretty relatable. It did hit close to home, didn't it, for you, Christine?
2: Yeah, it really did. And, you know, it's I didn't expect it to when they were talking specifically around uh, their role in the Me Too movement and in women's empowerment. I mean, we, we've talked before on this podcast about my research really being about the underrepresentation of Latinas in school district superintendencies. But... What I didn't expect to hit home was something that's happening to me personally right now. Oh, no. Well, you say, oh, no, like you don't know. Well, I'm
1: trying to build it up for the audience <laughs> a little bit.
2: Well, you know, would would you say that in addition to all of the stuff here at home that's been happening with like the construction, that there's been some other heaviness in our house?
1: Yes, there is, Christine. And uh, for you personally, of course. Yeah,
2: um, it's been a really difficult time. So I've been actually... Um, in the midst of an investigation with a um, an individual at my university, um, an academic, so it's not like another student, but that has been intimidating and harassing me and um, has been really, I don't even know how to put it nicely. So I'm not going to put it nicely because I'm not going to downplay it, but has really been, it's been devastating to my self-confidence to my feeling like I can actually be successful. And I've been in the midst of this investigation and had to be interviewed earlier this week and provide all kinds of documentation. And I mean, Chris, you've walked through this with me, not just this week, but the weeks leading up to this. How has it affected you?
1: Oh, I know. Christine's been very upset and she's been uh, very emotional and didn't know. She actually thought she was going to quit her course for her doctoral because this professor was very, very rude to her. And um, it seems like whatever she did, it didn't matter what she did, it was always wrong. Even though um, other people in her field have said, "Yeah, what you're doing is right, Christine. Everything seems fine. I don't know what this professor is saying. I don't know why, why he thinks that you're doing it all wrong." And but coming from my perspective on the outside, it's, it's very it's hard to see you go through something like that when you have worked so hard and you are you hit every checklist. You are a perfectionist when it comes to things like that. So for you to uh, miss the boat on whatever he's talking about. Um, doesn't make sense to you or me or anybody else. So you had to actually um, change classes, that right? Let you do that, right? Right.
2: I had to have, um, because the type of treatment related to me being a woman and being a Latina, because that's what I was being forbidden or prohibited to write about, um, I was able to seek protections from the Office of Equity and Diversity so that um, I didn't come out. Like, if, if this individual was to retaliate against me and my grades were to be impacted by it, you know, I could be jeopardized in the program. I could have to repeat this entire semester. Financial aid wouldn't cover a repeated course. And so I had to make sure that I was okay while still speaking up. And I think that that is the hardest thing. You know, what Amy and Nancy were talking about in the Me Too movement is giving a voice to women that are being alienated and oppressed. And I spoke up and i actually posted something on facebook and it was very vague i didn't put any reference to the individual like people didn't know the context and i had individuals that had these same classes messaging me privately chris and saying thank you for speaking up he's been doing this to me too
1: and you didn't say it was the same person but they knew it was the they, same they
2: per- they know that i'm in their class
1: okay oh, so they and, know who it is
2: but I didn't like, not everybody would know that, you know, other people wouldn't know. But then I also had a professor from the university, who's my Facebook friend reach out and say, who is speaking to you like this? This is not okay. What can I do to support you? And so it's been this, I had to speak up and I had so much anxiety, Chris, because I don't think what people realize is that when you're in that position and somebody has power over you, like power over your grades, that's my future success at USC, right? Right. And so if he could, in my program, if you get a C, that's failing. Wow. Right, so it's like excellence is expected. And so it was very nerve wracking to speak up and think that I could still have to be in his class. And so after some more types of behavior happened towards me that was aggressive in nature, the university acted on my behalf to move me so that I could still continue the process of the investigation but it has been so exhausting and so that's why I'm so thankful that people like Amy and Nancy who s- work in Hollywood and even though they hadn't experienced the me too um like the any type of harassment or sexual abuse that they speak up and give a voice to other women
1: that is fantastic
2: mm-hmm. yeah and I love their virtual summit that's coming up and guess what chris what 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 they've ex- they've extended an- invitation for me to actually be a speaker in their summit wow that's awesome so i'm going to be able to take some of my message of empowerment and overcoming and not just standing up not just speaking out but standing up and staying standing up against injustices to a much broader audience and so for that this has been a fantastic connection so thank
1: you honey that is great and by the way when you're up there please just plug the podcast (laughs) Just give, like, it, just give us one little shout out. I please. will for
2: sure. I will. And so I'm just so appreciative of Amy and Nancy Harrington being on this show and for the work that they do on behalf of all women, um, not just those in Hollywood, but giving a voice to all of us. And it gives us the courage to continue to speak up against oppression.
1: Thank you. And thank you for listening to our, uh, Christine's message. And thank you for supporting the show. And thank you for listening to the show. And if you want more information, you can go to www
2: www.chrisandchristineshow.com.
1: That is chrisandchristineshow.com with K's. And if you can't remember that, guess what? On the show notes, on the podcast player that you're watching this thing, I'm sorry, you're listening to this thing on (laughs) right now. If you look at it, you will see the show notes. In the show notes, we post the website and the email and all that funsy stuff.
2: Yep. And so we will see you all next week when we report out on our fabulous family adventure. See you next week. Remember this week, that life is too short to wake up in the morning with regret.
1: So love the people who treat you right, forget about the ones who don't, and believe that everything happens for a reason.
2: If you get a chance, take it. If it changes your life, let it. Nobody said that it would be easy.
1: They just promised it would be worth it. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Chris.
2: And I'm Christine. And until next week,
1: keep moving forward.